This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. We are here with Charlie Harari. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Rabbi. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much for joining us. Charlie, I've been excited to interview you for a number of reasons, but one of which is that you yourself have been someone who has forayed into the waters of Jewish podcasting, podcasting in general, as well as media, multimedia, a whole variety of platforms. And I want to get into that, but I know that that's not where you started. And that's not venture that you initiated at the beginning of your career and that you may have an interesting background that predates that. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, your personal biography, where you grew up, how you grew up, and so forth? Sure. Uh, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in Canarsie, Brooklyn. I spent most of my life as a child caring about one thing, basketball. That was my entire life. Playing or following? Both, mostly playing. And I really didn't have much of a care in terms of anything really Jewish. I went I went to grade school in New York, a school called Shiva Flatbush. But most of my childhood was, you know, girls and ball. That was like sort of what life was all about. And my parents were wonderful. They, they gave me a great Jewish education. It didn't really it didn't really resonate with me. I felt like it was very restricting. And while I think my teachers tried really hard, I was uh, you know less than the ideal student. Um, and my parents are definite run for their money. When I got to Israel after high school, at least my friends, we spent a year in Israel after high school. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out if Judaism really be a part of my life and why. I wasn't the whole like do it because we told you so type. I think that's how I ended up being a lawyer. I don't think like that's sort of how I see the world. Like because, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me. I spent a lot of my year in Israel just trying to figure out if Judaism worth exploring and if there's something there besides just rules and more what seems like random rules. And what I found was that there was this incredible world that I had never experienced. And Judaism sort of gave me an outlet to understand that world of spirituality. So when I back, that was sort of part of my life. And, ex- and I was just sort of new to it. So I was exploring it. And then in that process, someone said to me, you should really get involved with an organization called NCSY. NCSY is a youth organization in which, you know, you travel around the country and you speak about Judaism, but I wasn't really an expert. You know, talking about, I wasn't a rabbi. I wasn't trying to be a rabbi. I'm, I was going, I was, I was going for law school. Like I was just so not, I wasn't the profile that I think anybody was anticipating, but I went and I really found myself for the first time, you know, face to face with individuals asking questions that really I had just asked just a few years earlier. And that really opened up a huge world to me, having to defend something that I was just briefly or just recently interested in. And at that moment, I think my career took sort of two simultaneous paths. I went down that typical corporate law path and I went to, you know, good law school in New York, I went to Columbia University and then I went to the big law firms and all that typical stuff that you like sort of hear about, read about, big law, three in the morning, the whole, you know, that whole life. Um, but at the same time, I had this like weird other life, like NCSY Shabbatones and classes and just teaching. And most people are like, no, pick one. And I just didn't want to pick one. So I don't know why I had to. So like I said, I'm not a big like, do it because you do it, guys. I'm going to pick both. So God runs the world, thank God, and he gives you some extra energy. And that's what I did for many years. I just sort of did both. I took my vacation time 
to teach. Right? I, I just took my wife and kid and we just traveled and that's what we did nights and weekends. And that was what life was like for many years. And then one day, one of the NCSY guys, a guy named Eliyahu Rosen, he was having a hard time reaching his high school students right before holidays. He said, you know what, you know, maybe I can come over and take a video of you. Mike, that doesn't sound like a great idea, but you know, yeah. So you keep my house, and you know, now it's a big thing. Green screens. People talk today about green screen videoing. Like it's, you know, back when we did it, like ten years ago, he he bought a green from Bed Bath and Beyond. You know, what I'm talking about. My wife came home, and there was a microphone hanging off our living room ceiling. She almost had a heart attack. You understand? Totally a camcorder with a mic on a rope hanging and a bed, bath, and the bedsheet behind me. But that's what it was like back then when you were just sort of thinking things out. And then that's how life works. You know, God sort of opens up whatever doors he wants to open up for you. And then one video turned into two, two turned into three. And then someone talking about podcasting. And then, you know, that's how these things work. If you believe in something strong enough, the way I believe in spirituality and Judaism, and you want to share it with people, you find ways of sharing it. And that and that's where I am even today, you know, that the law firm turned into a house job at a big real estate company. The real estate company put me on the business side and made me sort of a, an executive. And that's where I am right now. I still have that simultaneous path of the career in the corporate world and then desire to continuously learn, study, and teach the stuff that I believe really is life-changing. First of all, I, I must say, you must have a very special understanding wife, oh, yeah. given that your vacation time was traveling to teach and yet microphones hanging from the ceiling it says a lot about her yeah i definitely have a special wife i mean god has been very good to me in that department <laughs> my wife uh, most definitely has come along for the ride in real ways yeah I want to back up just a minute. You, you talked about this sort of exploratory period after high school in Israel, I guess, in your early college years. Was there a, a particular moment, experience, piece of wisdom, something that sort of clicked for you at that time? Or was it just sort of an evolutionary process, a slow drip and osmosis? So I think it's both. You know, I think all growth, all lasting growth is slow. I think people are too caught up in the Hollywood version of growth, which is like, you know, you're walking down the street and you see something and then the music goes off in the background and you hear like the heavens open up. And I think that's not real. I think that's just like stories. I don't even think people that tell those stories really are remembering it correctly. And there's a lot of research on, on memory and how memory really is not real memory. It's just based on a narrative. And I think that's really a narrative. I think we want to have very romantic romanticized lives and as a result we tell ourselves these stories where some clicked most growth that i find is growth that is slow there are moments along the way that feel like clicks but they really are based on a growth and, and like a maturation to material for me there was one moment though that really stuck out it was something midway well, was relatively early on in my year they had some kind of night program in the yeshiva that i was in and i really was not interested i, mean, I, I didn't just roll into israel and i was inspired no way there was this great thing going on in town and i was so much more interested in what going on in town than i was going on in the yeshiva like come on so i was sneaking out one night and the rabbi who was in charge was running late uh -oh. so he's running late so he he goes to the back door i'm sneaking out so i go through the back and you know how these stories go we end up seeing each other in the hallway and i'm like ah uh, uh, and i've got years of training of getting in trouble this is the first time i got buzzed <laughs> i'm pulling everything out from 12 years of great education 
education of how to get out of trouble. And nothing is flying with Israelis. Like, forget it. Like, it ain't going. Like, this rabbi's prepped. So I think he sort of gets that, like, I wasn't a bad kid. I was just not interested. And he says, oh, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he does. And he says, listen, let's make a deal. You know, you got to show up every day for 30 days and you get to study alone with this rabbi. I'll cut you out of the, the usual stuff. And, and I said, okay. So I studied with this rabbi for 30 days and I really saw every question. And at the end of the 30 days, the rabbi says to me, so did I answer your questions? And I said, no, you answered some of them, but not all of them. And he goes, okay, that's fine. I go, what do you mean? He said, well, what it means to be an adult is that you have to be in charge of your own inspiration, right? A child is waiting for someone to inspire them. A child is waiting for answers. So that's what mom and dad does. They give you answers. They inspire you. They Like, I've got kids, thank God. I'm like, they don't have anything to do on Sunday. They just sit around and mope until we make up a whole day. They're not suggesting activities for Sunday afternoon. Like, you know, kids don't go to camp and like, you know, sort of put their two cents into night activity. They're just back and they wait for somebody else to like navigate their lives. And that's what happens in inspiration sometimes. You see people that are adults that sit around and go, well, I don't know if the rabbi is going to, like someone else should be in charge of my inspiration. And, and what he sort of put into my head that day was, if you want to go get it, like, you know, toughen up. You know, you want to be inspired. You see some level of, and I remember he asked me, he's like, do you see enough here that's worth fighting for? I said, absolutely. So he's like, all right, then go figure out how to get the end. Like, I'm not going to hand it to you. And that was a real life changer for me. It really was. Because I remember many times being uninspired and many times saying to myself, it's my bad. The buck stops with me. It's no one's fault that I'm uninspired. It's not God's problem that I can't handle it. It's my problem. And that has totally shifted the way I see everything. It's not just Judaism. It's everything. You know, we're on conference calls and someone throws out a financial instrument they never heard about. I'm Googling it and taking Coursera courses to figure it out. Like, there's no excuse. You know what I'm saying? You can always get the answers. And for me and my Judaism, I think I've got my Judaism every single day. And just asking and then fighting for the answers is more fun than just waiting for someone to roll in and say, hey, do you want to study with me? And what they think is interesting. And that was really the moment for me, taking responsibility for spirituality. And I still obviously have a long way to go, as we all do, but just knowing that how much control I really do have is empowering. It's a great paradigm shift. Have you ever told him, this rabbi, gone back and told him what an impact that shift made? Oh, he's a very big take responsibility guy. I went home. It changed my life. I come back a totally different person, but I had put on like 20 pounds. (laughs) And I go, rabbi, he goes, what the heck happened to you? I'm like... What do you mean? Like, I'm religious. I'm learning. Look, look, look at my life. Like, and he's like, how'd you get so fat? I'm like, what happened to you? I'm like, no, 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 no. Spirituality. Who cares about the body? He's like, what? You're not even taking responsibility for what you're eating? I'm like, oh my. <laughs> Can't win. I come home. My wife goes, how was it? I'm like, I got too fat. I ate too much. I got to go on a diet. Like, he's so exact. Like, you're responsible for every aspect of your life. And even what you eat is spiritual. Even sleep is spiritual. And he is totally changed how I see life until finally, like a decade later, he's like, okay, it's good to see you. I'm like, die. thank you. <laughs> you know, I think, I think in the end, like better that than like, you know, him hugging and kissing me and like, yeah, I don't know. When I was younger, I just wanted the rabbis that just sort of gave me a gift. You know, it's like every time you do something, you know, it's like today's day and it's like, you know, every kid gets a trophy. Like, I don't know. I think when you're little, it's fun. But when you get older, you really appreciate those people. That They're not abusive. They just see something in you and they really expect it of you. And he was sweet. He was nice. He wasn't abusive. I and mean, he wasn't mean. But there's something special about people that want you to be great and are not going to settle until you get there. I'm not there yet. but Brutal honesty. Yeah. Unvarnished 
truth. It sounds like this rabbi could get a podcast of his own. No joke. Although maybe not, wouldn't have too many happy oh. recipients of, of his uh, ethical diatribes, so to speak. So it sounds like, again, like you mentioned, you had this sort of parallel track going on of big law, corporate activity, and I guess teaching NCSY, things like that. Was that difficult to balance along the way? And still to this day, I mean, you know, you said you're working till 3 a.m. at some points. Was the teaching the three to to five slot? How did that all fall out, not to mention family and personal study and things like that? I think balance is a very difficult thing. Most people that I meet that are doing lots of stuff never feel fully balanced. I hope I'm doing good things. I I hope, I don't know. I guess I'll find out if when I go upstairs, but I don't ever feel balanced. I never feel like, oh, I got this. Like, I don't ever wake up and I'm like, wow, I am refreshed. I had enough sleep. Like, I don't ever, even like on Shabbos when I sleep more, I never remember feeling that way. I just think that when it comes to doing things, you have to choose between the feeling of being balanced and the feeling of pushing yourself just to a point past where you think you can handle. It's like going to a gym. For many years, I started working out. And then for many years, I think for most of my time, I did it myself. And then about a year ago, pulled in and hired a trainer. And the level of pain that I endure during that one hour session is <laughs> exponentially more painful than what I've ever put myself through when I was working myself out. And I think that without that level of stress, that level of pain, you can't really see real results. So yeah, there's no question that in my life that I didn't spend enough time doing. I can tell this to you and whoever else is listening. I don't remember taking a vacation in my entire life. That wasn't a holiday. I go away for Passover with my family, totally shut down. I stay home for circus, shut down. Every Shabbos, I'm shut down, right? So like I have Jewish ordained holidays, which have saved my life. When we talk about balance, I don't live in months. I live six day clips and my family knows that like, my kids, my wife, they know that when it comes to this Friday night, Friday night to Saturday night, come hell or water, they got dad and they got no one competing with that. And we we can tell stories of walking into, you know, CEO's offices and saying like, listen, I was closing, but I just, I'm disappearing. But you, you multiply that over your life and you get lots and lots of quality time with your family. But yeah, when it comes to the other stuff, you have to decide what's important and you have to get your family on board and you can't step on the next of your family to become something. And if your family's on board with you and you think it's right, you sleep a little less and, you know, you make it work. And thank God I got that advice early on. I never do anything without my wife's permission and approval. Like, never, ever. I mean, sometimes, but not really. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I almost never go anywhere until she tells me, like, you can go. And not like you can go, but, like, we're doing this together and, I you know, this is a partnership. But when it comes to pressure and balance, I don't think I'll ever get it. I, it's always going to feel like I'm one inch under the water and then I pop my head up and then I'm one inch under the water and I pop my head up and then Shabbos comes. I think that's just how it is for me. Sounds like a healthy tension. And I I think tension, by the way, is honestly, I I don't think we fully appreciate power of tension. I don't think it's the chronic stuff that's supposed to be bad for us. But I think the moments of tension, the moments of stress, this is part of growth. This is part of how our body develops. The exponential growth comes from. We run from it because we don't know how to balance it. But if it's chronic, it can hurt. But if if it's sporadic and when it's done deliberately in certain moments, I think growth really lies. I think it lies in these moments of tension. And I can tell you from my own career, you come in these big corporate shops, you know, your first four or five years, you're pulling all-nighters regularly. You know, you get older, you get the executive suite, but in those years of really pulling all-nighters, you, you just don't know how you're going to get through it. And you do, and you can, and you, you really start to recognize the power of the human is much greater than we give ourselves credit for. 
What are some of the things that you're engaged in now and in recent years professionally? What do you enjoy? I know that you've done some venture cap work, obviously law, sounds like real estate as well. What's sort of your sweet spot? From a content perspective, I spend a lot of my time in the real estate world. It's really about investments. That's the game to everything is asset management investments. Where are you going to make your money? Where can you invest in a way that'll produce a little of results? I spent some time in the VC world. It's a very difficult world to be in. We, you know, started some companies and that's, it was fun and cool. And my take on the VC world is that it's got a lot of hype, but not a lot of returns. I mean, there are returns if you're really specific at it, but there's more hype than returns. You know what I'm saying? Like the ratio of hype to return or at a sink, right? Shark tank. Everyone like thinks like I can just put money in lollipop factory and become a millionaire. It's just not how it works. But yet it was, it was interesting and it was fun. And we, you know, we had some nice returns, some nice exits, etc. To me, real estate is a little bit less, you know, sort of enticing, but always has. And I think it always will be the place where you can really create real return and real wealth for people. Um, that's a lot of things that the company here does. That's sort of what takes place on a content and we sort of like specific. For me, I think what I'm always trying to do is figure out, you sort of the, the messages of how to get something across to people so they understand what they're getting involved in and then how to create sort of win-win solutions. I think that's really the key to it all is figuring out how everybody wins. I'm not a huge fan of in business, one party winning. And it's, it's hard not to, when you play sports, it's, binary, right? One person wins. It's not like that in this world. I don't think that's a long-term strategy. That's what happens many times, but I don't think that's how it should. I think you got to create solutions where lots of people are winning. And then that's really a lot of what I, I try to do is th think through ideas and then put them into practice and communicate them and let people understand that, you know, investing in here, or, that's really where I think we need to be focused on and where I spend my time focusing on. Have there been mentors or role models within that realm who have imparted or sort of inspired you with that particular philosophy or modeled for you how to translate that beautiful philosophical idea into the real world of competitive business and a competitive marketplace? Very much. The company actually that I work for right now is, is a company that lives by the standard, RSR Realty. I mean, Scott Reckless, CEO, Vice Chairman Jason Burnett, these are my mentors. These I, I've been with them for years. And yeah, the idea of doing good and doing well is, is a big topic here. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to make money. We're not a nonprofit, but when you live in a world of sort of corporate high-level investing, it's a small community. And when everybody wins, you end up spending more time with people that you do more together. I think when it comes down to people that are getting involved in investing, community when you're young, that's one of the things that I would most definitely advise. Put yourself in scenarios where everybody wins because what happens, especially to younger people is, especially in the business world, you try to win and then you miss the chance to develop real relationships when you're young because you think that the power is taking place above you and you're trying to win for the people that play above you. But when you start to sort of create solutions where everybody wins and you start to create relationships at your level, you'd be surprised how quickly time goes and how the 20s become 30s, 30s become 40s and that everyone that you were at a school with or you started working with, now they're all MDs and partners and now they'll remember you as someone who is ethical, as someone who is fair. Even if you're going to try to do what's right for your client, fair, then you start to have exponential success. The business career is almost like a hockey stick. It's not a shit line. It's curved. You start off and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And 
I got and it's because you don't know anything. Like college doesn't teach anything, law school doesn't teach anything, the real world teaches you stuff. So you get that you don't know anything, no ways up, everyone above you seems so smart. And if you just put your head down and you study and you, and you follow and you really work hard, you learn stuff. But along the way, if you're known as the, this fair person, as the good person, as you're learning things, your friends are learning things, your colleagues are learning things, your classmates are learning things. And then there's like that turn, that hockey stick. And then sometimes 15 years later, all of a sudden everyone your age now is in position of power or influence. And now you have a reputation of really being the person to go to. So your success sort of multiplies. It's not addition, it's multiplication. And that's something that young people don't appreciate because it's impossible to appreciate it because you have to have experienced it to appreciate it. It's experiential. And I didn't appreciate it until a few years ago. I was like, oh my gosh, the partner in the shop and the my managing director here and the CEO of this company and the head of this, these guys, I know these guys. They were my first year class. And immediately I started asking myself like, oh my gosh, was I on across the table? Did they do the right thing? Like, And I was like, I wish someone would have told me. Why did they tell me? Like, if I would have just been more mindful of cultivating relationships and I would be in a much bigger position now as I got older and that's a key piece like you have to see that at the end if you're ethical if you're integrity 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 you say what you're going to do and you do it play games and you're just fair and it doesn't mean you don't have to win you just have to be you know what I'm saying like you, you, you're fair and people start to play the game with you and then you get opportunities and by the way another thing a lot of times I see on times you come back to the same companies so when you leave, how you leave is critical because those people recycle through the business world. People make these mistakes. They say what they want to say. And five years later, that person left and now it's their boss. And they're like, oh my gosh. So critical. Your reputation is all you got. And that's something that I kind of wish I would have known. Thank God. I think it worked out okay for me, but it's important to reiterate it to people that are starting their careers now. How vocal are you about your Jewish values and Jewish perspectives, especially when it comes to aspects of ethical practice? And obviously you're visibly Jewish and, and observant, but in terms of your business activities, is that something that you bring in explicitly or is it more just an implied reality of who you are? Well, it's hard to hide my Judaism because I look observant. I leave every Saturday. I eat most foods. You know, I, I think 90% of my meetings are in places that I don't eat. So, you know, how much can you order a Diet Coke without them figuring it out? It's a good um, recipe for, for that diet, though. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, being kosher was the best thing that happened to my diet. No. It's the best advice. If, you're, if you want to lose weight in your business career, go kosher because you can't eat anything. And so it's great. You can eat plenty. But um, I'm not very vocal about Judaism. I don't really cross the line unless someone asks me because I find that I don't want to impose my beliefs on a situation that's not about faith. You know, if I'm sitting in a meeting and we're talking about real estate or law or business, it's not about religion. And there's no reason why I need to impose it, even if I think the relationship to it. So I'm sort of consciously not always in your face about faith, it ends up coming out mostly in people that ask me questions. So where I've always been has always been a sense of I'm proudly Jewish. So that usually brings people over and asks questions. And it's not just being proudly Jewish. I'm happily Jewish. Like I'm happy to fast on Yom Kippur. I, I see the depth in it. And I really think it's incredible. It's physically challenging, but it's physically challenging to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Like no one's gonna be like, that's a terrible job, right? I, I, I'm happily Jewish. So 
that comes across because I'm not just leaving because I have to leave. I'm leaving because I want to leave. And that's a huge distinction, I think. People can sense that, but I, I never impose it. I never bring it up. I never suggest it. It's really reactive. But when it happens, I'm not in any way shy to express how I feel and to teach in many scenarios where I've been asked to come into corner offices to lessons about the weekend, the week Parsha, and to talk about Rosh Hashanah. Many, I've given Q&A about Yom Kippur many times. I'm always happy to take something on. That's the stuff that we spoke here about, you know, taking responsibility for your own inspiration. Well, you know, if somebody has a question, that's why I feel like, you know, it's part of my responsibility. So while I don't offer it, I'm only too happy to respond to it. Going back to some of these other activities, that these, I guess, community-minded or educationally-minded activities, you mentioned NCSY as having sort of been a pathway for you, you know, the old green screens or green sheets. But I know that there's been quite a bit more that you've done since then. What are some of the other projects that you've been engaged in over the more recent years since you got your initial start in teaching and visiting groups and so forth? Yeah, so just from the speaking perspective, that's why I translated to college campuses, that translated into communities. I lead a shin once a year, twice a year, sometimes to Israel on the JWR. Green bed sheets turned into green screens. We do some real videos. We've done a bunch of real videos out there that have been produced at a much higher capacity. We've got different types of video products that I've launched on the page. The podcast, Mocking Greatness. With God's help, we're releasing a book in a few months. So look out for that. I'll give you all the information. I launched a course at Yeshiva University's business school that really combines science, research, personal growth, and spirituality. And over five years, did a ton of research and then just recently turned it into a book that's that's going to be available late winter. Fantastic. So I'll give you, I'll give you that information. You know, that would be, that's something. I really do believe that there's greatness in this world. It's not just only everything about what Judaism, right? The Judaism is, in my opinion, almost like a window, a lens into a world of spirituality. And that lens is a lens that many of us have already. We've seen lots of it already. Don't and are articulated and then and Judaism sort of does that for us and lots of what I talk about is really personal growth and greatness and Judaism is a big piece of that for me but there's a lot of pieces to it so we try to sort of marry whether it's you know regular personal growth and Judaism and the radio show we've got two radio shows and so there's I, I try to as hard as I can to get the message out as much as possible because I got to tell you, Mike, there's nothing that gives me greater pleasure than empowering somebody else. If somebody else feels empowered, that's the greatest thing I can do because that means somebody else has more power. And if we just knew how much power we had inside us and lived that power, we'd be bigger. We'd be greater. The world would be a better place. So I hope I'm helping, but at least I'm trying. Oh, I hope I'm trying. Like I said, I hope I'm helping and I hope I'm trying. I don't know. Empowering others sounds like the very gift that you were given by that rabbi all those years ago who really empowered you to take that ownership which obviously we now see has catalyzed all of these movements that are really paying it forward to others tell me a little bit about the radio shows the podcasts who are they geared for what's sort of the goal of them and also who are the most interesting people that you've met through these programs one is a radio show on the NSN network every Thursday morning. That's sort of me doing a monologue, like a riff about life. This past year has been a lot about the book and the research that I've done and finishing up the last chapters and really sort of looking at the world and trying to figure out what are the underlying principles that make us us. The other basic product I would say is this podcast that I have called Unlocking Greatness, which is what the book is named after because it's based on the podcast a little bit. You know, when you look at people's lives, on the surface, they, some people feel they seem very lucky and very fortuitous that they have great lives, but when you get underneath the you know, the skin, everybody's 
basically the same, right? It's just hard work, sacrifice. And then along the way, you pick up these little tidbits. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out from all my guests. Like, what was it? How'd you do it? What's the secrets that I can put into my life and be better? Because if we understood this, if someone else's experience, we can save that time for ourselves. I, I just, I don't know if I have off, off the top of my head who was the most interesting, but you've had some very interesting guests that came on. They really showed us some like real interesting approaches towards life, you know, like power of gamification or marketing geniuses or just thinking through just some of the guests, each each one of them in their own way. You know, we had this guy named Ethan Zahn. He won Survivor in, the, in one of the first few seasons, a Jewish guy. Then he got, came back, all the celebrity, and then he got cancer. And he just talks about what it means to be a survivor, like what it means to fight. And, hmm. and I think we learn a lot from people and people are so incredible. Incredible. We don't spend enough time, I don't think, learning from regular people that are heroes. And if we would, we would see that each of us have these small gifts of greatness to give that we take, learn, and put it into our lives. And it can like round out our experiences. I have an experience and it leads me in one direction. And because of my experience, I don't have that person's experience. So I'm sort of deficient because I don't really know what it's like to live in that environment. But if I just study them a little bit and I learned that, I can almost put it into my life. You know what I'm saying? And then we can sort of round out our experiences to some extent, even though we didn't live through them. And as a result, face life with new wisdom. I like almost crowdsourcing life. Yeah, that's a great uh, concept. That's what the podcast is about. I care a lot about that. Today's day and age, science has really came around. If you look at social sciences today, you look at you know what's going on in the world of psychology, and you're seeing a lot of this explosion of personal growth. You're looking at habits and rituals and visualization. And these are real research-backed studies that are able to give us real wisdom on how to live your life. And you know, I've learned in my own life, like just to get into your career, into your marriages, into your parenting, like what's the point if you don't know what you're doing why go in blind just spend some time studying how to be better and that will help you be better and it's such a useful use of time i get inspired by and you know i hope other people do too it reminds me of the teaching in pirkei avod ethics of the fathers who is a wise person someone who learns from everyone and it sounds like you're really trying to apply that teaching in really every sphere of life that saying is incredible and it's True. Really, Pirkei Avot is one of my uh, favorite books of all time. And there's a few of them. Like it says, once who is wise, someone the unborn, right? And that concept of like, why wait? Think through it. Like think through it before it happens. Like, project. It's so brilliant. Why wait to get in it? Just see the unborn. You can figure it out. Like it's that mother is going to give birth to something. It's an unborn child. There's been one before. Study it. And, like that's the that's the essence of all science, right? Follow the, the rules and then predict the rules. It's life. Follow yourself, understand when these things happen, what triggers you to do this, and then just see how people get over it and see it. You know, wisdom helps. Wisdom is the easy pass of experience. Just a couple last questions, Charlie, and then I have some really last, last questions we'll get to, but sort of a two-part question. What do you think currently that the Jewish world needs most? What are we most missing right now? And separately, but I would imagine that the two would have some harmony. What do you see as the next chapter in your own development in terms of your own projects, contributions to the Jewish world? And again, I would imagine that maybe the latter would be directed towards the former, maybe not, but, but what do you see as the great need out there and Again, what do you see as your next chapter? First one's a lot easier. I think the Jewish world needs more and more relevant spirituality. I think people need to fully grasp in a much more basic way the depth of just what spirituality is and how Judaism gives it to us. As I get older, I think that robotic Judaism is just on the out. 
you know, many years ago at work. And, and I see it from people that are a generation to above me and like, it's great. It really is. And there's some beautiful thing to seeing somebody just walk blindly and this is what God wants of me. And I'm going to do it. And that's great. And I really mean that. I'm not saying that patronistically. I think that ACD and AD, it doesn't fly. And as a result, more people are saying, if I don't understand it, why am I doing it? And when you delve into why we do what we do, if you get deep enough, it's incredible. And if you delve into spirituality and you understand the creation and God and how it works and soul, and it's a sea that no one really explores. And lots of times it's because it's just not relevant to people. It's not accessible to people. They don't know what books to read to start. They don't know the terminology. And as a result, they live their lives and they think that Judaism is a bunch of just custom cultures that you got to get through or some big God in heaven is going to zap you and give you a bad life, which is like insane. I don't know if it's insane. It's just not, I don't think it's it's truthful. I personally think that the more we make spirituality more relevant and accessible, the more people look at it and go, wow, this really is a brilliant system of wisdom. I, my life would be better if I had 5% more of it, 10% more of it. For me, I can tell you the next six months is going to be about the book. So I hope you'll help me promote it and your listeners to buy it. And I'm really exploring now media and projects and media. I, I'm very interested in how to get the word out and how to things more relevant. I've recently got involved very heavily in a project about God, which is still under wraps about just I feel sometimes that when you see like a debate between like an atheist and a theologian, it's like the atheist's got like 15 science arguments and the theologian's like, whatever, it's, but it's God. I feel we need to be much more active to show that believers are incredibly intelligent people and belief in God is not where you shut your brain down. I don't know when that became this common culture, but this is the type of stuff that I think we need to think about. How to be much more articulate, how to be much more accessible, relevant, how our messages need to be more digestible. So people just recognize this beauty, the wisdom of spiritual knowledge, of Jewish thought. And by using podcasts and media, I think it's only helpful. I think it's only going to move us in the direction. And to me, it's less about what they do and, and more about what they learn. And just leave it to the people to study and to expand their knowledge and to, and to tap into this beautiful wisdom that we're lucky enough to know about. I just want to go rapid fire on a couple questions just to okay. close up. So here we go. What is your favorite Jewish holiday and why? I got to tell you, I like a lot of them. Got to pick one, Charlie. <laughs> be my most difficult too. All right. My favorite Jewish holiday is Rosh Hashanah. It is the most difficult two days. Of, I feel I have to be on for 48 hours, but it is the one holiday where it is 100% about God. And that to me is powerful to think about nothing but something other than yourself. Every other holiday to me, even Yom Kippur is in some way selfish in nature. Yom Kippur, you're worrying about your life. You're praying for yourself. All of the holidays you're eating and you're eating this piece of it that's you, part Partying, fun. The two days a year, like God centric, is Rosh Hashanah. It's, it's difficult, but I feel like I get to think beside myself. And that is uh, a difficult challenge, but challenging things are what make you better than you were yesterday. Okay, invite one person from history to your Shabbat table. Who would it be? Joseph. Joseph is my man. You like that dream coat? I can't believe he pulled it off. I <laughs> Joseph goes through hell back. And he ends up being the most powerful, maybe the most powerful human in history. Like we don't realize because he ends up the Bible, like go through Forbes. If Forbes are the top 400 most influential people in him, I think Joseph is number one, right? Like remember the story, like he ran the food for civilization and he was a slave. I mean, what a life. Mother dies, his father puts him next to him, the brothers sell him, right? He's a slave. He ends up in jail for doing the right thing. Never loses his faith, never wavers. 
And then for the rest of his life, he came out at 30. We forget this. Joseph was 30 when he got picked by Pharaoh. And he spent the rest of his life running the world. It's insane. And Joseph, yeah. Get him on the podcast. Then, unlocking greatness, huh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I had him on a locking greatness. <laughs> Number two would be King David. I, King David. I he was very impressed. I'm seeing a theme here, Charlie. What is the most surprising hobby or quality that you have that people would be surprised to know about, to learn about? That's a tough one. I don't know. I journal every day. That's, I eat almonds. I basically live on almonds and coffee. That's my life. <laughs> almonds and coffee. It's like black coffee. This is my life. You want to see how I survive? Black coffee and raw almonds. That's how it works. You know, you get the protein and you get the coffee straight. That's how I... Uh, I wonder if there's some metaphor there for like, you know, your professional involvement and your community activism. Some kind of, I don't know what, what it is. You have to work on that. Yeah, exactly. The caffeine and the protein. There's got to be something connected to... Uh, yeah, protein like, you know... The, the Jewish activism, the investing in the spiritual world, and the, the coffee is keeping you driven to, to earn money. And <laughs> I'll leave it to you to find the, uh, the intermediate, you know, my daily uh, eating activities. All right, Charlie. Well, thank you so much. Give us quickly how people can find you. Obviously, the upcoming book, but even just in general, where are you online and so forth? Yeah, you should go to charlieharry.com. That's probably the best place to find me, charlieharry.com. It's H-A-R-E-R-Y. And look out for the book, Unlocking Greatness. You can pre-order it on Amazon. I hope you do. And, you know, maybe if we get another pre-orders, my publisher will let me come down and see you guys in person. That'd be fun. Thank you so much, Charlie Harari. Thanks for the time, and I appreciate it. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at jewsyoushouldknow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at Jews You Should Know. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Jews You Should Know. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews You Should Know.